Hi, my name is Jordan Mayer. Welcome back to Your Smile Makes Flowers Bloom, a podcast where I learn from other parents and educators so together we can help children thrive. I'm very excited for you to listen to our guest today. Her name is Monica Hilder, and she is an author, teacher, and speaker who specializes in fantasy and children's literature. Monica is a professor at Trinity Western University and co-director of the Inklings Institute of Canada. I'm confident that you will appreciate Monica's insights today as we discuss topics related to faith, stories, and fairy tales. With that being said, let's jump into today's episode. I hope you enjoy. So Monica, welcome to the podcast. It's it's great to have you on today. Thank you, Jordan. I look forward to talking with you. Me too. So for Monica, um, for those who don't know about you, just wondering if you could share a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Okay. Well, I, um, I'm an English professor. Uh, I have been that for some time. I've also taught high school. Uh, I teach uh, at Trinity Western University, and I'm, I'm also, well, um, co-director of the Inklings Institute of Canada, so uh, scholars and interested um, members of the public who are, who are just really keen about writers like, uh, well, the Inklings, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, uh, related writers like George MacDonald, so, so I've um, over the years of teaching high school and then for many more years of teaching university English and uh, also a little bit uh, internationally in Germany one year as a very young person, mm. I was thinking a lot about the fact that actually everyone loves stories, but a lot mm. of people don't they think they don't like studying English or, you know, literature. And I was just wondering, you know, thinking a lot about why that was, and that really led me more and more to think about the kinds of stories that I love, why I love them, and I have many favorite authors, but certainly C.S. Lewis is the one that I spend the most time with. That's wonderful. Yeah, and and that's great because I am hoping to talk to you about about reading and, and stories today. And so I guess I just wanted to start for you, why do you think reading is so important? I think I'd like to start with children, but also why do you think reading is so important for, for everyone after that? Yeah, well, thank you for that question. Um, reading, that's how we learn. That's how we learn about the world, uh, about ourselves. Obviously, there are many other ways of learning about the world and about ourselves. Um, but there's something about reading that enlarges us in ways that perhaps other, you know, just speaking with someone or certainly, for example, reading the newspaper or, or going online, Googling something, well, that requires reading as well. But there's something about, I, I would say, especially reading stories uh, because it allows us to think about uh, the world in different ways that that we haven't uh, come up with on our own. So mm. we're learning people in different time periods. We're learning about different attitudes, 
uh, different uh, problems, sorrows, joys that people have. We couldn't possibly experience all the things in one lifetime ourselves that we can experience actually through reading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's such a gift uh, to be able to read. And I've been a grade one teacher for four years, and it's just so exciting when you see um, the reading click for students and this whole new world is open to them. It's, it's incredibly exciting to, to be able to witness that. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, I think we, those of us who, are, who learned how to read, what, what a privilege that is. Mm-hmm. Um, we might take it for granted, mm-hmm. but when that, it's, it's like the world opens up to you. It's like you're given wings and roots. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. It is. It really is. So, Monica, I'm, I'm curious. Um, some people seem to just love to read, and for others it seems to be a real chore. Do you have any suggestions for how uh, maybe parents or educators can motivate children when it comes to reading? Yes, I... I think the main thing that we can do is to read aloud. Mm. I think what happens uh, too easily, maybe even in our time, uh, the idea that we live at a faster pace of life uh, that has changed in the last month mm-hmm. uh, for many of us uh, with COVID-19. But but just the idea with the increasing pace of life, I think uh, many of us have forgotten how important it is to to actually sit down, take the time, and read aloud. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens uh, with parents, uh, and perhaps to some extent teachers as well, uh, but that once children can read, uh, parents assume that they should read on their own. Right. But that is a huge problem, because reading needs to be modeled. Yeah. And I think it begins long before um, your students um, enter grade one. Right. Uh, and, of course, as soon as I've said that, uh, some parents might think, oh, my goodness, I haven't done this, and now it's too late. It is never too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, but getting back to the point of, of modeling, uh, children need to hear proper language. Mm. And so if they're reading on their own, uh, without an adult reading it aloud, they're not hearing it in the same way. Right. And it's only when they've been kind of mentored into that and actually have caught kind of imaginative fire, like they've just kind of realized, oh my goodness, this is so exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only then that 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 young people want to, you know, read the next story, read the next story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think whatever parents can do uh, to foster that that love for reading, and, and it takes time. It, I would say, you know, it, it needs to be done pretty much on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, take that time, you know, for young children, uh, bedtime reading. That is, um, that should not be a lost art. I have no statistics on it, but I have the sense that it's not as common as it used to be. Right. I think a couple of things come to mind when you say that. I know as a grade one teacher, um, reading aloud is something that we usually did when students were having a snack. And 
one of my favorite things to do with them was to, yeah, as they're eating their snack, I would be reading a story and I would try to make it as exciting as possible. Um, one of my favorite series is the Elephant and Piggy series by Mo Willems. <laughs> and, um, you know, trying to make the deep elephant voices or the high pig voices um, something else like you had just said, um, read the next story is when I would get to the climax, I would pretend to put the book away. And it was always, um, you know, it was quite funny because students would be on the edge, edge of their seats and saying, Mr. Mayor, please, please read the, the rest of the book to us. We really want to know how it ends. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I remember reading with one of our children, um, and I won't identify which one. Mm -hmm. But but anyway, I thought, oh my goodness, oh no, uh, I've missed the point in time. Somehow I missed this. And, and my husband did a lot of reading with, with our children. Okay. Anyway, uh, The Princess and the Goblin by George MacDonald. Yes. Uh, and so I said to this child, uh, oh, I've got to read this to you. And that child said, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. This is this classic book and I haven't read it to you. The others I've read it to and so I just thought, oh, well, you know what? I just said, you know, we don't have to read it. I don't have to read it to you, but I'll just read a bit. If you don't want it, not a problem. Right. So I just started reading. And then I say, oh, you know, that's, uh, do you still want to hear more? And that child said, oh, oh yeah. Mm. And I did this a few times. And then every time, oh, yeah. So, <sighs> you know, I think sometimes if we assume, you know, it's too late or it's not going to be a story that that young person enjoys, I think we've got to totally push that aside and just really go for it. And Jordan, I loved what you said about how you read with your students, really being very dramatic, mm. acting out the different character voices. That is so delightful, so important. Mm. And again, I mean, those students wouldn't get that if it weren't an adult um, yourself or their parents actually doing that for them. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um one of my favorite authors, um, and he's actually a, a singer and a songwriter, his name is Andrew Peterson, and he made a, a point that I had never really thought of before. Um, and, and this was actually a story that he had heard from someone else, uh, but it sounds like there was a lady who was helping in a Sunday school class, and the Sunday school teacher had left and put her in charge of the lesson. And... So it sounds like her, it was her job to, to share a Bible story with the class. And it sounds like she was sharing the story and, you know, the class was really drawn in and she even had this little girl kind of come and sit up in her lap as if she was just being drawn in. And she said when she finished the story, um, the Sunday school teacher wasn't quite back yet and she didn't know what else to do. And she said to her horror, she asked, now children, what does this story mean? Oh. And um, it sounds like in a sense, the spell was broken and he was just suggesting sometimes it's okay. Well, no, it's probably great to ask that question sometimes, but I think sometimes it's okay to just let the power of story be enough to not always have, have to uh, have children explain the meaning behind it, but just to be enthralled with the story 
itself. I thought that was, that was something I'd never heard before. And I thought that was a neat um, way to look at story too. I think that's a really important point. And I think you, you know, with what you've just told us, uh, you've really hit on a huge um, problem. And I think it's one of the main reasons why so many uh, people who, you know, everyone loves stories, but Mm -hmm. they, oh no, I can't stand, you know, English classes, literature classes. And I think it's because of the problem of reducing a story to a particular meaning. Okay. And sometimes it's even worse. It's not even the meaning of the story, which actually students, I think, do love to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but I'll get back to that point about how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's more like, okay, you know, fill in the blank and mm. a literary device was being used. And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, this is, this is not, you know, central right. to what this is about. Um, so, okay, one of the things I was, you know, I think about how George MacDonald, who was a Lewis, C.S. Lewis said he was, that MacDonald was his primary mentor. Mm. Uh, Anyway, so in one of his essays on imagination, so this one's called The Fantastic Imagination, he talks about the difference between stories and factual type of readings. Mm. And um, so he says that stories are to stir our imagination. They are to, you know, wake us up, to awaken us. And as, so as writers and as teachers and as parents, um, we really need to let the stories work on us. Hmm. And uh, so as soon as you try to reduce a story to a single meaning, it's like you're killing the story. Hmm. And different authors talk about that. Uh, Flannery O'Connor, she has this, had this so American uh, writer of the 20th century. So she had this uh, this uh, nightmare idea. You know, whenever she realized that one of her stories was in a university uh, anthology, you know, would be taught, she just had this image that her story would become like this this pickled frog in a <laughs> biology class. You know dead, right. uh, you're sort of labeling all the parts. And, and so again, it's this idea that, that we've got to, you know, the parts are important, but if we lose the whole, we're in very big trouble. Mm. And um, one of the quotations that I keep have, keep coming to mind when I think of George MacDonald talking about this, and it's just one sentence I'll read to you. Okay. In this context, he says, we spoil countless precious things by intellectual greed. Mm intellectual greed uh, I think is really stunning uh, because certainly we have this idea that we should somehow master a subject, we should be in control, and if we've been able to prove that we understand a particular meaning, that must mean we're really intelligent or something. Right. And he just says that's kind of greed mm. and, and it's very dangerous. Mm. Your, your um, story of what happened in that Sunday school class illustrates, I mean, that you, you said something like the spell was broken, right. and that's something we've got to be very careful about. Um, obviously, uh, literature teachers and Bible teachers, you know, we want to, we want to investigate the meaning of story. Mm-hmm. I, I think the way to do that would be more like, what did questions, more open-ended questions, like, mm. 
how did this uh, speak to you? What did you notice? Did you have any questions? Did it remind you of something? Hmm. And, you know, it's really exciting. One of the things that I talk about uh, with my students, they tend to draw their attention to um, Matthew chapter 13, and I especially like how it's Eugene Peterson has paraphrased this portion in the message where the disciples say to Jesus, well, why do you tell stories, right? Mm-hmm. And so Jesus, yeah, he, he did have that famous sermon and probably other sermons, but we, what's mainly recorded are the parables. Right. So the answer that Jesus gave, um, as uh, Eugene Peterson has rendered it for us in uh, contemporary English, he said, I tell stories to create readiness mm. to nudge the people toward receptive insight. Mm. And so the whole idea is that um, if we just say something in a logical manner, uh, which often sermons are, actually, it's like, you know, three points that are fleshed out. Mm-hmm. And that, I'm not saying that's bad. Mm-hmm. And it has its, it totally has its place. Yeah. But the reason that Jesus talked about it this way is because the people he was wanting to uh, reach, most of them were not ready. And stories engage us because, in in a larger way, because if you're listening to a sort of rational explanation, it's only part of you uh, that is involved for the most part Mm -hmm. but if you are listening to a story you are also emotionally engaged Mm. not only logically but emotionally right and if you engage a person emotionally they will well for one thing they'll remember it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah i mean we can think of uh for example uh david right uh king david the story of the adultery and if, if the prophet had come to him and said, okay, you're a sinner, well, what would King David have done? Probably, you know, he could have totally rejected it. But because the prophet told the story, then King David recognized himself in it, and he, he was broken into a place of repentance. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Jesus is telling us stories so that we can get connected with what the kingdom of God looks like. And only then... Maybe are we better able to listen to rational explanations? I know that you've already talked a little bit about C.S. Lewis. I'm just wondering if you could possibly answer why you're drawn to him and why you think so many children, but also adults, are also drawn to his work, such as the Chronicles of Narnia. Yes, well, thank you. Um, So I didn't really know anything about C.S. Lewis until I was a teenager. And and only then did I, the only thing I knew about him was uh, the book Mere Christianity, which I thought was fantastic. Right. Uh, So growing up as a Lutheran, a confirmation, you know, that was awesome. The catechism, very good. Then when I read Mere Christianity, I thought, oh my goodness, this is better than confirmation. Or it's like... (laughs) better like it, it, simply because it was deeper explanations right. of, of christianity um but so when i was actually in my early 20s that's when i realized oh my goodness he's written all these fantasy books and, mm-hmm. and he's one of them for children mm-hmm. 
reading them, and I just fell in love. Uh, so why? Um, well, there are a lot of things in that. I mean, I all my education outside of the church has been in the public system, okay. and that's been good in all sorts of ways. Yeah. Uh, but it's also been, it also meant that, um, well, just quickly said, at, at, in some places of my education, certainly, you know, you pick up on on a real sort of negativity towards the Christian faith. Mm. And uh, just, you know, to say that quickly. Um, but so here I'm reading C.S. Lewis, and I'm like, oh my goodness, he is so smart. He's like mm. a prof- professor. Uh, but he's also like the artist's artist. I mean, he's, this man is just um, brilliant. And yes. it, it was just so... I mean, his people sometimes talk about him as having evangelistic zeal, and I think that's totally true, that in all his work, whether it was apologetics, explaining the Christian faith, or in his imaginative work, he's always wanting to draw people uh, to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of a short answer, maybe, yeah. as why C.S. Lewis. But I think you also asked me, like children and adults alike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could speak a bit about that. Um, actually, okay, so one of my favorite quotations from Lewis's mentor, George MacDonald, this comes from his children's book, Princess and Curdie. Yeah. And the sentence is this, the child is not meant to die, but to be forever fresh born. Mm. So what does this mean? Um we might think of the scripture, you know, when I was a child, I thought as a child, and then I grew up to be a man, and, you know, obviously we're supposed to become adult and adult in our faith. Mm-hmm. What McDonald was wanting to emphasize is that we should never lose childlike wonder. Right. Yeah, so it has to do with that kind of openness, essentially, to God, to things that, you know, we cannot understand, but we have this sense that there's more to know than we can possibly, you know, no matter how smart we may be, honestly, there's so much, we just can't get that, mm-hmm. and, and ought to have that sense sense of wonder. And I think this is something that C.S. Lewis really, is why he appeals to all ages. Um, and if I was thinking about this question, I think about that question a lot, actually, but I just want to read to you, there are two C.S. Lewis essays that I would recommend to okay. um, parents and, and teachers. And yes. Really. So the first one is called On Stories. Okay. And in that, he says, no book is really worth reading at the age of 10, which is not equally and often far more worth reading at the age of 50. Hmm. And he qualifies it, except, of course, books of information. So okay. he's talking about fiction. So if it's a good story, um, yeah. it has to appeal to adults. Mm-hmm. And and so the idea that you would write for children, uh, I think what, that's one of the problems in our time, is that we dumb things down. Mm. For we just say, oh yeah, no, they can't understand that. Or the sentences are too long, it's like, really? You just <laughs> read them properly, mm. you know, be punctuated properly. And, and it's, it's not too hard. We just, I think we limit ourselves. Anyway, so books have to be uh, amazing, and then they'll appeal to all ages. Yeah. 
I'm I'm so glad you brought that quote up because I I was just looking online before we started our phone conversation and I found a quote that was very similar. It said, a children's story that can only be enjoyed by children is not a good children's story in the slightest. <laughs> and yeah. then he also has another one where it says, I think he's writing to maybe his niece at the time where he says, someday you'll be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. Oh, yes. Yes, that is an excellent point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was quite interesting because both Tolkien and Lewis did say, you know, that it, it really is a historical accident that fairy tales, as they said, were relegated to the nursery. So mm. the idea that fairy tales are for small children, that happened in the mid-20th century. Um, and it simply, you know, was never true. Fairy tales were always understood to be for, for all people. Mm. Uh, but yeah, there's something about fairy tale that um, I think is, well, there are many things about fairy tale that I think are hugely overlooked. That that could be, we could talk for hours just about that. Yes, that could be a, <laughs> another episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Monica, you've already given me a lot of quotes that it seems like are very special and important to you. Do you have um, any other quotes that you'd like to share at this time? Oh, I certainly do. Um, let me see, let me just point you maybe to the other essay that I would recommend to parents and and, uh, teachers. So it's C.S. Lewis's essay on three ways writing for children. Okay. So he kind of talks about bad ways and good ways of writing for children. And in that essay, he addresses the issue uh, of wanting to protect children from scary stories. Right. Yeah, it almost seems to me that that attitude among parents is even more prevalent in recent decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a very interesting sort of sociological phenomenon. But Lewis, um, back in the day, he just said basically, um, well, let me just read a couple of sentences. Yeah. Well, the idea that you would protect them, he says, well, since it is so likely that they, the children, will meet cruel enemies, let them at least have heard of brave knights and heroic courage. Mm. So, in other words, if we're not um, equipping children with scary stories, real, you know, the real battles between good and evil, mm-hmm. and in those stories, you know, these good stories that, by good I mean that you know they really demonstrate how how children are susceptible to terrible things mm-hmm. and they have to be very brave and they have to overcome evil yeah. so if children are never exposed to those stories how are we going to equip them for the scary real terrible things of life yeah that's a oh, great i'm actually great really frightened when our parents say oh you know um this is scary I just think, well, um, life is scary, and we Mm -hmm. need to help our young people know that they have more than a fighting chance with God on their side, but they've got to fight. Yeah, um, that makes me think of my wife and I have been rewatching The Lord of the Rings, and in the second movie, there's just a scene that I I love so much. Um, Basically, the orcs have 
you know, it looks like they're going to win the battle and, um, or actually, sorry, it's, it's a different part. Uh, there are so many orcs that are, um, outside of the castle and it looks like there's no possible way that they could ever win this battle. And there's a young boy who, um, has a sword and, and Aragorn, the king, he just kind of takes the sword and he looks at it. And while he's looking at it, this young boy says, you know, do you think there is any hope? Yeah. And Aragorn simply answers, there is always hope. And, yeah. and that has been so, that is, um, stayed with me ever since I first saw it, that there is always hope, no matter how, hard or challenging things get in this world there is always a reason for hope Tolkien is fantastic with that as is Lewis and um uh these guys were in the trenches in world war one I mean but they experienced and then they experienced world war two on the soil of England but the horrors they went through and millions that died Mm-hmm. in World War One, and then, of course, World War Two. Um, so these guys, from this position of their, you know, very deep Christian faith, they're pointing to hope. Yes. And Tolkien is one who says things like, so this is also in Lord of the Rings, it's in, it's in the Fellowship, in that first section of the Lord of the Rings, where, you know, Gandalf is saying, you know, despair is, you know, if you, I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. uh, despair it means you think you know what the outcome is going to be Mm. but we 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 don't but but we do know in the big picture that uh god has uh the last word uh the outcome in the big picture is going to be good yeah and we have to be brave Mm -hmm. and, and be willing to well as the bible says to die for what is worth fighting for mm-hmm yeah. Now, you asked me for an absolute favorite quote, I think. Is that right? Yes. It's awfully hard to pick. But sure. I thought I would read, um, if I have, well, I will read a short passage from the last chapter of Lewis's last uh, Narnia book, uh, The Last Battle. Yes. And that's a book that's all about the apocalypse, the Antichrist, and, you know, the end of the world, yeah. and, and the beginning of... Uh, eternity for these uh, characters right and it's the fawn tumnus who is so they're now in the new narnia and lucy with the fawn who was her first friend in narnia in the Mm -hmm. old narnia that is now gone uh she's looking around and she's saying you know it's so much bigger than i thought (laughs) tumnus says of course daughter of eve the farther up and the farther in you go, the bigger everything gets. The inside is larger than the outside. Hmm. At this point, I would then want to ask my students, okay, so what do you get out of that? So that's typically my kind of first question, what do you get out of it? And if you were to ask me that question right now, as I look at it, uh, you know, I was thinking that this, I mean, obviously it's about about heaven, about eternity. I mean, it's just about unfolding wonders. I mean, we can't even begin to imagine how glorious uh, our future is. We're told that it's beyond our imagination. So Lewis captures that here. 
But I also thought, uh, Jordan, in terms of our conversation today, that this is a fabulous quotation for what it means to read. Hmm. Look at a book or, you know, this type, a little maybe short story and you think, well, what could I, you know, how much is there going to be in there? And we start reading, it's like, oh my goodness, it's like this whole world opens up. Mm-hmm. So if we can just kind of kind of pass on, you know, the baton to young people and so that they can get the vision that, yeah, reading is that, you know, the farther up and the farther in you go, the bigger everything gets and the inside is larger than the outside. Uh, and of course, you know, Christian writers like uh, Lewis here, in the last battle and Tolkien, whom you mentioned, I mean, they're of course uh, really wanting to, you know, through their stories, really draw people in to the Lord, you know, the Lord Himself and yeah. into eternity. Yes, Monica, I think that is a, a wonderful place to, to end today, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for being willing to do this with me. And it sounds like we already have a second episode where maybe we can uh, do this again at some point. Well, that would be fun. And I just really appreciate you taking the time for these podcasts. And um, it's been great fun. And I thank you for it. Of course, you're welcome. And um, all all the best to you in in the weeks to come. Hope you're able to stay safe and, and healthy at this time. Thank you so much. All the best to you and yours. Thanks, Monica. A big thank you to Monica for being our guest on the podcast today. It was a privilege to talk with you and be reminded that good stories can nurture our imaginations and give us hope for the future. Listeners, if you would like more information about Monica and the wonderful work that she does, please visit monicahilder.com. I'll make sure to include a link to Monica's website in the description of this podcast episode. That's all the time that we have for today. Thank you very much for listening and stay tuned for upcoming episodes where we discuss how we can help children thrive in our world today.